Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries, here to tell you how they built their brands. And also a big thanks to this week's show sponsor, iTrolley.ie, who have come on board to sponsor this episode. iTrolley is an online marketplace that offers thousands of products and a broad range of services. And they're down at Lyland, and you can find out more about them on iTrolley.ie. Welcome to episode 10 of the 24 Stories podcast. This week, we're going to talk about a topic that I'm really interested in myself, the whole area of public relations. And who better to talk about that than Anne-Marie O'Sullivan from AM O'Sullivan PR. Welcome to the podcast, Anne-Marie. Thanks, Stephen. Delighted to be here. So let me go back. I'm guessing, you know, that it was always, I suppose, part of the journey. Your dad was in PR already. Am I, am I right in saying that? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So actually, 1981, dad started uh, O'Sullivan PR. Back then, I was still in secondary school. But when he started the business first, he worked from a home office, so uh, converted to the garage and he worked out there. So we all knew to be really quiet around the house and to not make noise when he was working. And if he was on the phone in the hall, because it was the days of having the, the landline in the hall. Yeah. Um, so we were all very quiet, myself and my four brothers. I suppose it went from there. So within the, I suppose, his wider family, you know, my grandfather would have been editor of the Cork Examiner at one point. Various brothers and cousins were all journalists and in that kind of field. So I suppose that was always kind of, I suppose, in our DNA. News dominated the whole Correct. So in many ways. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, current affairs and, and all of that was a, was a big deal. We were all avid readers growing up, all of that. So I suppose looking back at it now, there was an inevitability about, about the career choice I made. Not so much at the time. It didn't strike me because at the time I decided I wanted to be a chartered accountant. And very different. Uh, very different. Um, and when I went to UCC, Back in 1984, it was to do a BCom uh, with the view to becoming a chartered accountant. And by the end of first year, you see, I realised that being an accountant was probably the last thing uh, that I wanted to be. And from then on, for the next three years, I picked any subject that had marketing or management uh, in it and decided that, yes, PR was probably uh, where I wanted to be, yeah. but I was not going to work with dad. So in my head, that was that was a definite. Okay. So I was going to Dublin, which is where PR even to this day, is still centred in Ireland. The majority of, of, of PR jobs are actually in, in Dublin, aren't they? Correct. Because the head offices are in Dublin. Correct, yeah. And the media, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, exactly. So you have government there, you've got most of the, the national uh, media, whether mm. it's newspapers, apart from obviously the Examiner or um, RTE broadcast as well. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of, there's a natural reason why yeah. people would gravitate towards Dublin. And then in the way of the best Irish family stories, um, my mother said to me, would you not go in and help your dad now over the summer yeah. while you're doing these interviews in Dublin? Because he could do with the help. And then in the meantime, she was saying to him, would you not consider just saying it to her rather than seeing her head off to Dublin? Yeah. So anyway, between the jigs and the reels, I went in in a summer job um, in July of 1988 and never left. Stayed with him. Right. So something through, yeah. obviously like ticked straight away. There was so- something happened there that you really enjoyed what was ha- yeah. what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, I suppose at the time, what he had done when he set up the business himself in, in 81 was was quite unique in Cork. So mm. at that point, any company in Cork that was looking for strategic advice, strategic communications, media relations advice, they were going to Dublin. And he decided actually there was a market there 
to develop basically a world-class communications company. Yeah. And therefore, the, the companies and the people in, in Cork and the wider Munster region didn't have to gravitate towards Dublin to get that skill set and that experience and expertise yeah. because actually it was here in Cork. And he started the business with that in mind. It was a team of three or four in the business at that point when I joined. And I suppose timing wise and, and also so not to put it all down to, to luck because the experience and the expertise was there in the business. But the pharmaceutical sector was kind of getting off the ground in Cork. Um, and he had a couple of clients in that sector. And that was a sector that we just seemed to excel at. So, yeah. And for those companies, they were developing in Cork. You had multinational owners coming in who had very sophisticated communications yeah. teams back in US or Switzerland or the UK, wherever their headquarters were. But they needed somebody on the ground in Cork who understood the media in Ireland, who understood the kind of government affairs part of, of life here, who had that, I suppose, familiarity also with you know local stakeholders, so community groups yeah. and residents' associations yeah. and all of that. And that's something that, that we had in spades and something that we very much focused in on in terms of developing that as an offering uh, for those companies. And that's something people don't realise is very much part of, uh, of PR. It's that kind of stakeholder relationship management you know Very as you so. said communities people would never think of that they automatically think get your press release out put it into yeah. the newspaper yeah. get it on the radio station yeah. but there's so much more there is and, and you know I, I would always say to people when they ask us you know what it is we do there are two things I say one is that yes we do media relations mm. but media relations if it makes up 25-30% of what we do yeah, it, that's as much yeah and then the other way I describe ourselves is that, you know, a lot of PR companies, in fact, most PR companies spend their time uh, getting clients into the newspapers and into the media. Yeah. And we spend our time keeping them out <laughs> because yeah. that's not where they want to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and there's, there's, there isn't a value piece for them yeah. in doing that. Yeah. Because, of course, PR is always associated with, with probably building brand awareness and mm. maybe kind of being the free element of marketing. Yeah, Whereas I think that's it's, fair, yeah. It, yeah. That, like that's that's the public perception. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, oh, that's a publicity stunt, you know, yeah. the general public, that's what they'd say, yeah. you know, they're doing a publicity Or the number stunt. of times somebody says to me, you know, well, why can't you get that to the examiner? But actually, funnily enough, the pandemic with all of the negatives that it's brought, I think one of the standout things for PR and communications companies is that there is now um, just a, a really um, heightened awareness of the value of effective communications. Yeah. be that internal comms or whatever it is yeah. that you've needed to do. But I think communications has definitely come into its own in terms of, of an essential part of, of management uh, leadership over the last 18, 20 months or so. And those pharmaceutical companies back then, like, was there a lot of training in terms of maybe even media training, how to handle interviews, that type of stuff as well? Yes, there would have been. However, for a lot of those companies, primarily the people we deal with who are involved in manufacturing. Yeah. Their focus has to be on the quality of the product, you know, lean manufacturing, getting it right first time, all yeah. of that. So so quite often there is a view in corporate that, well, the people on the manufacturing side don't need to worry about PR or yes. media relations yeah. or anything like that because that's not their job. Yeah. Their job is to get the product yeah. and made and out and delivered on time. So I suppose what we have done is is being able to to bridge that um, for a lot of our clients in terms of the, the the teams here in Ireland and the teams back in headquarters in terms of, I suppose, giving headquarters an understanding of, well, actually, it is important for your yeah. um, your manufacturing site to be out there and to be developing its brand because if nothing else, they are in a talent war yeah. with the other companies in of the course. in the area or whatever. Yeah. So how do you how do you stand out in that arena? 
you know, if, if other people, other companies are bombarding mm-hmm. potential employees with messages and, and all of that, how do you stand out in that in that landscape? That is a lot of, I suppose, what we've had to do in terms of that positioning piece for a lot of companies and, and helping corporate to understand what's going on here, but also then helping the guys here to understand, well, corporate are saying this for a reason. Yeah. You know, it's it's not necessarily always a negative yeah. that they are saying, you know, we're turning down this media opportunity, but there's a reason why they're doing it. And it's just to understand that that bigger picture piece. And would you have helped them then if they had to, let's say, talk at the local community hall about a project yes. that was, would, would you kind of guide them in terms of absolutely. this is how you present this? Yeah, absolutely. So we would, we would, so for something like that, we would sit with them. We would determine, okay, so what are the key messages that we need to get across yes. in this community meeting? Yeah. How are we going to do it? What are the likely questions that will come from the community? You know, and let's anticipate those and let's work through, okay, how would we respond to them? What can we say? And then that whole coaching and training piece. So, you know, okay, deliver your message to me, stand up there and, you know, how are you going to do this? What are you comfortable to do? Do you stand? Do you sit? Do you do a PowerPoint? Do you read from notes? What's the best way for you? So, yeah, we would do all that type of, of, I suppose, quite hands-on work with clients in that regard. So that, I'd imagine, that really helped you in those early days of, of the business, your father and them and you came in and, and you must have kind of grown quite quick then. Did you bring extra members in the team? We did. So we grew to um, eight relatively quickly, I suppose, over yeah. over the kind of, um, I say, between 81 and uh, about 2000, 2004 or five. I mean, I suppose we had developed an expertise in that pharmaceutical sector. And also medical devices. So now it's called life sciences. Yeah. Um, and it kind of encompasses all of those type of manufacturing organizations. Um, so we would have developed, a, I suppose, a reputation as well with the, with a number of, of companies in that sector. And that business definitely grew and became very much kind of the mainstay of, of what we were we were about. And did you have fun stuff then to coincide with that? Like when you think of the early days, was like I'd imagine photo shoots and stuff like that were very popular with some organisations if they were trying to sell product. Were you doing much of that kind of thing? No. No? You no. were sticking to this Happily, strategic communications? consumer PR, there's a huge market for it, but it's just something that holds no interest for me None whatsoever, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose just in terms of the way PR is structured, you have the corporate side and you've got the consumer side. Yes. That's, that's loosely where they fit. Yeah. We have always been a corporate agency. We have never gone down the road of consumer. So yes, we'll, away from we'll do photo shoots if a client, yeah. an existing client wants them. Yeah. Um, but but that's not something we go out and we chase as a as a business. So when you said, but, you know, we want to keep people out of the news. Yeah. Have you ever got one of those consumer brands to kind of say, oh, we need your help? They come knocking yes, at your have. door and say, guys, the people that we have, they're not experts in this field. We know you are. Can you help us? Yes, we have. So, and I cannot give you any examples. So they're, they're secrets. <laughs> because did you keep them out of the news? Yes, we did. <laughs> well, that's the main thing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, and, and, and that does look, yeah. you know, you, you can be all things to all people and that's fine. But that's not who we are. So, you know, we're not a marketing company. Yeah. We're not a pure media relations company in, in the strict yeah, sense. We yeah. don't do consumer PR. What we do is strategic communications. We focus on that. We, you know, we really um, make an effort to understand the sector that we operate in, understand the relevant stakeholders for our clients. And that's the, the I suppose, the added value piece that we bring to them then. When did you step in then as the managing director of O'Sullivan PR? So that happened in 2005. Okay. It's funny. It's, it's one of those things, you know, and... Um, Family businesses are have their own particular dynamic. Yeah. And I think it's something that obviously in my father's head, this was where things were heading. Yeah. I think in most people's heads, this is where it was heading. 
yeah. not necessarily in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I was really enjoying what I was doing. But, you know, for me, it, it just felt there was a, such a huge step from going from, you know, um, doing the day to day work and and, you know, managing. And I was doing a lot of the managing of the business at that point anyway, for the yeah. couple of years before I took over formally. But, you know, what I love to do is the client stuff. Yes. And I think most, you, you'll find that most entrepreneurs, right? What, what most people like to do is, is the client stuff. The, I love that, yeah. The management stuff, the accounts and the Nobody likes HR doing that and all of those bits, right? They, it has to come as a package. So for yeah. me, that, that that really hold a huge amount of appeal. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about it. We mapped out where we were going as a business, all of that over over a year or two. And then in 2005, I took over formally then as managing director. Did he completely step aside? No, he didn't. Uh, so Dad, Robin, took over chairman role. Yeah. And I suppose what happened at the time is that it coincided with his time as uh, president of Cork Chamber. And then following that, he went on to be president of Chambers Ireland. I remember so, that actually. Yeah, so yeah, what that yeah. meant was, and that was something we talked about as well in terms of that transition piece. Yeah. So he had a focus outside of the business as well. Yeah. Uh, which probably worked really well from a timing perspective because it gave me the opportunity to look to develop the business as I wanted it to develop, obviously yeah. in conjunction with, with um, and in conversation with him. But he also had that external role that he was very focused on as well. Mm. So so I suppose we weren't tripping over each other in the office. Yeah. Despite, you know, having changed roles in that. So And probably that external role for him gave a lot of credibility to your brand as well. Absolutely. It did. And I went on subsequently then to to sit on, on the Board of Cork Chamber as well. And I suppose that's another element of, of what we've done over the years is is that it sounds a bit trite to say giving back, but, you know, I do feel very strongly in terms of being able to uh, support the city, the region, yeah. um, whatever yeah. whatever is out there. Um, so I was delighted to spend some time on the Cork Chamber Board as well. And um, same as, as, as Robin did when he was on it as well. Was it tough then following in his legacy in terms of being a pioneer in terms of strategic communications in the Cork region that you were then falling in there? Was there expectations? Was there, oh, yeah. was there pressure? Well, I suppose it was a mixture of things. Like, I am always Robin O'Sullivan's daughter. Yeah. Right. So that's that's just a given. I have come it's to terms. to this day? Uh, you still hear it. Now, not so much anymore. Because there'll be a new generation yes, coming. Yes, correct. Be familiar. So people yeah. who wouldn't be familiar yeah. with him or would understand that, that legacy piece. Yeah. Uh, so that has definitely, to be fair, uh, dwindled, but for a very long time, you know, and I do it myself. If I was meeting somebody, I'd say, yeah. you know, I'm Anne-Marie Sullivan, Robin's daughter. They go, oh, yes, I have, you know. I mean, that's a real core thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. That, that that absolutely opens doors or it puts yeah. people at ease or it starts yeah. a conversation as well, you know. And being able to build on that, that brand is great. But I'm what I'm really conscious of, and it's something that would be just our, our mantra inside, we're all about client service. And I say that all of the time to the team and, yeah. and, and we're all the same. And we have clients that we have worked with who would have started working with Robin back in the day yeah. who we're still working with. Uh, and he has no involvement on a day-to-day basis in the business nor has had for a couple of years now. So so for me, that's... That's like nearly 40 years kind of, yeah. in, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly if I'm involved with them, it's 30 plus now. <laughs> for you, 30 plus, just to be, just to clarify that situation. Yeah, not 40. Yeah, far, your, your father, Robin, yeah, was, was 81. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't take that for granted, yeah, yeah. you know. What it does for me is it shows that we're providing what they need, yeah. but also that they are very comfortable to stay with us and, you know, rely on us um, for that support. Like we're never off. I mean, it's the type of business where you're never off anyway. Yeah. But, you know, I could get calls from clients who I mightn't have talked to for years who all of a sudden have a situation 
they'll ring at whatever time of the day or night. They know we'll respond and they know we'll give them the advice and the support that they need as well. Um, and that for me is 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 the service that we offer to clients. And, and that's why we have people um, still with us 30 plus years later. Was it around the late 2000s for a while you kind of merged with a few other companies? That's right. 2008. I suppose 2008 probably tells its own story. Year of the recession hitting yeah. and all of that. Yeah. So it was a um, tough, t- tough time for biz- for anyone in that industry in in, in PR marketing. Comms, yeah, anything I mean, like if that. you remember, advertising went through the floor. Yeah, you know, nobody was advertising anymore. Newspapers were were um, desperate for revenue. Yeah, anybody involved in that that game um, really really got hit hard. And I suppose at the time there was a logic to what we did um, in terms of you know, being part of a full service agency, and this was the way that things were going in yeah. general. To compete with the Dublin market, probably, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was an element of that to it. Yeah. But over the next couple of years, it became very clear. And, and I, as I say, the, the recession, I think, played played a, a significant role in this. It became very clear that we continued to be this very profitable, very busy division within a bigger company. Was that due to the the business you had built up over the years, the life sciences? Yes, that it, did. it was. The recession didn't really affect it them didn't. at all. They were recession proof in that sense, yeah. in the same way that they've been recession proof. For the sorry, pandemic and stuff. Protected yeah. during COVID, yeah. Yeah. So for us, we came back out in 2015 and it was very much because, you know, we were still doing what we had always done. That integration piece had never yeah. happened yeah. because people were still coming to us for the services that we had always provided and they didn't need the add-ons. Yeah. So I re-established the business this time as AM O'Sullivan PR. What was the significance in putting the AM at the start? Um, just, I suppose it was my name over the door. A fresh approach? Yeah. But I think there was, there was an element of, I suppose, needing not a full rebrand yes. in how we'd understand it. But there was, it was making, a, I suppose, a statement yeah. at the time. And, you know, again, um, it's funny, you put a lot of thought into these things and obviously for a long time. And I remember one of the clients um, talking to me on the day that I rang around a lot of the long term clients to let them know what was happening and that we were reestablishing and uh, under our own brand and just ourselves. And this is somebody who we would have worked with certainly for 20 years at that point. And I remember him just saying, look, congratulations, delight of you. But he said, to be honest, I don't care what name is over the door. I yeah. just want to know I have your mobile number and I can pick it up, you know. Yeah. And that for me was, it was actually huge at the time because, you know, you go through all this kind of self-doubt and yeah. is it the right thing to do and, you know, all of that. And no, we're we're six years on now. And, and had you team members at that stage? So literally, when we started up again in 2015 at my kitchen table. Yeah. There was myself and Tina Quinn and Robin O'Sullivan. Okay, the three of you. And that was the three of us. And that's how we started off again. So you obviously left one or two behind, did you? Well, I suppose people had joined the team over the intervening uh, seven years or so, but had come and gone and all of that. Yes, of course. Um, Some people were were happier to stay stay where they were and that was fine too. But in terms of the, I suppose, that strategic piece, it had been the three of us previously and it was three of us kind of back again if you like. So then you moved into an office was it up in Corraheen? Yeah out by the Red FM studios. Yeah I remember um, yeah. yeah the lodge uh, out there which was which was great and kicked off from there. So I suppose what we've done now is we've come from the three of us sitting at my kitchen table to we're now in in uh, offices in, in uh, Sunday's Well in Shanakil and we have a team of nine now. Yeah. Um, so in the course of, of the last um, six years we've grown it to nine 
and really busy, just really enjoying it. You know, the buzz is still there. Yeah. But in that time, there's been massive change in terms of communications. There is. Mm-hmm. So if I just take in 1988, when you went in, the internet didn't exist. No. How has that changed? Oh, it's communications. Well, I, I suppose the main thing that it's changed is the speed, speed of response yeah. and speed of delivery and speed of reaction. Right. Because there was a time, you know, you get a media query from a journalist who'd come in on the landline because you didn't have mobile. So they'd actually the ring you. Yeah, yeah. So they'd ring you. Yeah. And you'd say, what's the deadline? And their deadline typically would be the following day. It wouldn't even be that day. Right. So so it was just a very different dynamic in terms of dealing with things. Yeah. So you had a bit of time to think. You did. As well. You yeah. did. Exactly. And that's what's that is what's missing nowadays. You know, that race to be yeah. the first. Yeah. Or, you know, that whole social media piece, who's going to get out there first with the headline and yeah. are we going to check it or not? Do we have time to check it because we might be gazumped by somebody else who get out there first with the news? And, you yeah. know, there's all of this dynamic in yeah. there now that that wasn't there when I started out in the business, definitely. So social probably has been the biggest change, yes. I'd imagine. Yes, correct. Because it's, I suppose, citizen journalism in many ways. Mm. So yeah. therefore, you could even have an employee break a story. Yeah. And you have to deal with it. Correct. And yeah. has there been... Many has, of those. There have been a number of those, yeah. So we've always dealt with that as a possibility where, you know, you could be, I suppose, getting ready for a restructuring announcement, for example, yeah. or a closure announcement. And that, that's something that we, we have a particular expertise in. And, you know, I always say to people, you've got to keep the circle of people who know this information as tight as possible for as long as possible until we get to whatever the date is where mm. you're going to be announcing this. And the challenge is somebody gets gets wind of it. So... Like it, it doesn't really matter in one sense. The motivation is still the same. The motivation is having information and being able to share it with somebody, right? So if I hear a rumor yeah. and I'm an employee somewhere or I know something or I yeah. read a document, you know, I want to be the one that has that information. Gives me power it in many does. ways. Yeah. Correct. And so, you know, I think back 15 years ago with a particularly large company in Cork that was going through restructuring. And I remember getting a call from the examiner at about 10 o'clock at night to say, basically more or less the full details of what was to be announced but it wasn't planned to be announced for about four weeks. And I'm having a conversation with the editor explaining that, you know, there's so much planning yet to happen. We want to be ready to let people know what's happening. We want to put packages and all of those kind of things that need to happen. And he's telling me, yeah, but, you know, somebody else get wind of it. We've we've been given a heads up about this from somebody internally. We trust the source. You know, I'm not prepared to sit in this for four weeks because somebody else could come along and get it. Right. And then you fast forward that to where we are now where an employee sees something or they take a picture with their mobile phone or they put up a post about something and then all of a sudden mm. it's off. So it's the same dynamic, but but now it's the speed piece is, is the, the additional factor. So does that mean you have to go in and educate the staff in terms of how they deal with information or has anybody ever approached you to do that? No, we don't do that. Um, yeah. Because the one thing I always say to, to companies is you can't tell employees that they can't talk to the media okay. you just can't why is that so what you can say to somebody is that yeah. you can't speak on behalf of the company where you work okay right because there'll be official channels to do that and all yeah. that but an employee is a citizen so they walk out the door mm. in the morning yeah and maybe their next door neighbour works with I don't know Red FM yeah. and they have a chat over the garden wall or you can't stop that happening can't stop happening yeah. you know yeah. so it's, it's just not yeah. and, and on top of that then as you said you have the whole citizen journalist piece as well. So people feel empowered by social media yeah. and they feel they can put things up there. And a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people post things that they would never dream of saying yeah. if they were having a conversation with somebody. And but they see it under a different kind of maybe name or 
Yeah. You know, and it's possible yeah. to do that, yeah. you know, so so it is a it's a different it's definitely a, chal- a more challenging environment with social media. Mm. But having said that, I still say to clients, look, you need to take a step back. It's still the same thing. What's the message? What's the channel of communication? Who are your stakeholders? You know, OK, there's a there's an added pressure with social media. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fundamentals of how we should be communicating. Yeah. In terms of social then for the corporates, mm. do you ever give them advice in terms of like building their own brand as in, you know, so that they come across as likable individuals if they're. I mean, it would depend on. So, again, that's probably straying more into the more consumer brands or FMCG yes. brands rather yeah. than the brands that we work with. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, so what's very, uh, I suppose, the most popular social media platform that, that our clients would engage in or feel that they're they're comfortable on is LinkedIn. Yes. And again, there is a particular focus in LinkedIn in terms of, you know, well, OK, it, it feels more like a business networking opportunity yeah, rather than those. being on Twitter or mm-hmm. Snapchat or yeah. TikTok or whatever else. So, you know, from that perspective, yes, you need to be very sure about tone of voice and be very sure about brand. So, yes, we have done work with them on yeah. that. Uh, but that would mirror what they also say in a press release or mirror what they would say if they go to a community meeting in the morning. So, it, you know, that consistency across all of the channels and all of the ways they communicate. And I'm guessing it also helps in terms of encouraging staff and, and encouraging maybe even people to come join their team because a lot of them are yes constantly yeah. looking to and they are. They're constantly looking to recruit, you're right. And, you know, so again, what are the things that will interest people? So, you know, um, and not to be trite about it, but CSR is a huge massive yeah. factor for people. Sustainability is a yeah. huge factor for people as well, particularly younger people. So, yeah. you know, can you speak to your credentials in that? Do you have credentials in those areas? And if so, can you speak to that? Can you show examples? Like we have a couple of clients at the moment who actually have beehives on their massive manufacturing sites, yeah. right? Yeah. And that whole sustainability piece, mm. they're producing honey, um, you know, which is, which is, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago, if you had said that, you know, serious manufacturing operations would have beehives on, on their it's sites. crazy, yeah. They'd be Absolutely. getting pesticide. You know, people just would make no yeah. sense. And that's something that would have come from somebody on their team mm. who maybe has an interest in it and wanted to do it and felt there was a there was an opportunity here. So, again, that's something that's a bit different about them. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm a graduate coming out of, of UCC or MTU or wherever, um, and I'm looking at three or four different companies, they're all kind of a bit the same from where yeah. I'm standing because yeah. I have my new degree and I'm deciding where to go yeah. and how will I start my career off. But actually, those guys, bizarrely, have beehives. So, so that's diff- something a bit quirky or yeah. a bit different about them that I didn't expect, you know. So it's it's, it's looking at, at things like that. So is there a story that we can tell that's happening already that we can just amplify then on something like LinkedIn? Like a story like that. Do you pitch that as a feature then? Yeah, I mean, we do sometimes do press releases, right? Yeah. Or, you know every one of the national papers will do some kind of a sustainability feature yes. or a supplement in any given 12-month yeah. period. So then there's an opportunity for us to position ourselves in that and get yeah. that story across. And I'm guessing the same applies for a lot of, like, let's say, the Sunday Business Post, the Sunday Times. They have bigger features on yeah. maybe, you know, facility managers or, you know, operations managers, operations directors. And they could be like, what do you do at your organization? Are you yeah. pitching those type of stories? Yes, we are. Yeah, we'd be aware of all those kind of feature opportunities that are coming up. Now, they don't always make sense yeah. for companies either, but but sometimes there's an opportunity, particularly, you know, if you've just won facility of the year, for example, yeah. then absolutely, that's a natural view to be to be featured yeah. in that. I often wonder with those as well, is there a fear from some of the organizations that 
if some if one of their say management team is is on one of those publications and they come across very well that they could be poached. Could poach. uh, absolutely. LinkedIn is the same. It is it? really. Yeah. You know, if you're putting yourself out there, you're developing your own profile yeah. as well as what you're talking about. And do you have to balance that? There's an awareness piece around that, but I mean, that's just the way that, that things go. It so is. if somebody, yeah. you know, if somebody's going to be poached, they're going to be poached whether yeah. they're active on LinkedIn or not. Yeah. You know, and, and even if they are active on LinkedIn and they are poached, they still be saying great things about the company yes. where they were working as yeah. well. So that goes to that that wider brand piece as well. It's a positive. Yeah. Positive I mean, you don't want to be losing good people, but, yeah. you know, you can't argue that that happened just because they were they were active on LinkedIn. So in terms of in terms of the media, then do you have to kind of make sure you have a strong relationship with them? Kind of. Yes. And that's something that as a team, we work very hard at. OK. In terms of just developing relationships, mm. understanding. And it's it's something that... <laughs> It just it baffles me sometimes you see journalists giving out about the fact that why don't people do their research? Because I don't understand why somebody in, in a in a PR company doesn't do their research to yeah. understand, OK, if my story is about sustainability, you know, why would I send a press release to, I don't know, the agri editor yes. who has a particular focus on whatever, you know, you just it's OK. So what's your message? What's your channel and who are your audience is like? It's very simple, really, yeah. in terms of what we do. Yeah. Right. So understand that. Who are the people you need to speak to? Who are the people who ideally, if your client has a has a major story in the morning, where would you like to see it appear? Yeah. Right. So, you know, for everybody, it's front page of the Examiner or the Irish Times, right? That's what people say. You're going to go, well, you might get that once ever. Yeah. Once ever. Yeah. Right. So therefore, right, let's look at the other options. So mm. where can you go with this? Where where does it find a home? Where does it sit? Yeah. Like, is it better to, to, to pitch this particular story to the Farmer's Journal, for example, yeah. than it is to the Lifestyle magazines or you know so it's it's very much understanding your audience and understanding the journalists then that that have a particular interest in what you're writing about I'm guessing it's kind of difficult at times so if you're protecting some people from getting their story out there that you don't want the story out there and that same journalist that has looked after you before is ringing you know for some details yeah it's a hard game I'd imagine is it it is you know I mean what I would always say to journalists and I I you know I have had this said back to me. So for me, it's about the relationship, right? And yeah. and knowing that I'm not going to sell them something that, that either doesn't pan out or I'm not going to uh, not give them information if I feel it's important, mm. but also that they need to respect the fact that there are times when I won't be able to talk to them about a client or about a situation that's happening with the client. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the the issues that we deal with, particularly if it's something like a restructuring um, of an organisation or a, a potential closure. You know, myself and my team will have signed confidentiality agreements. Yeah. We're bound not to. And and ethically, I wouldn't do it anyway. Of course. Because you're talking about people's lives, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and for me, the starting point in that kind of a situation is that the first people that hear the, the news should be the people directly affected. So, you know, if I'm putting together um, a communications strategy and a support plan around a restructuring, then for me, the starting point has to be, OK, what's what's the day when we make the announcement? How do we make the announcement? Who are we making the announcement to? And then everything else flows out of that. Right. So you do the prep work in advance. It's never the type of project where, you know, it's going to be um, a happy outcome. Yeah. Right. If people are, are yeah. being told that they're losing their jobs. However, for me, it's about making sure that we do it in as professional a way as possible and that once the announcement is made, that at least the media are carrying it in a way that isn't sensational, yeah. that they understand the rationale behind it yeah. 
and that they're also conscious of the impact that it has on the people who are directly affected if they're losing their jobs. You know, and that's our starting point. And I always say that to, to people if they come to me with the restructuring project, um, the starting point has to be the employees. And then we work around that. Is it, this is a tough news story to break absolutely. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you still have the challenges that all new ju- news journalists have in terms of their editors wanting stuff from them, in terms of getting out there first with the with yeah. the news and being seen to have the most details or the most quotes or whatever that looks like. You know, there's nothing worse than, than being on site with the company and a restructuring announcement has been made and, you know, the employees are leaving the site having finished their shift or having come out of that meeting. And you have the journalists decide, and I know journalists hate this as well, that whole Vox Pop thing. You know, you yeah. see it sometimes, the microphone shoved into the window of a car, yeah. asking somebody, how do they feel with this news? And mm. I mean, no journalist wants to be in that position either. Yes. You know, so that whole dynamic, if we can get to the point where at least, you know, we're briefing the media, they understand that messaging, they understand why this was done and they understand also that the company has put significant measures in place or that maybe they're being, people are being told now, but there's a plan to wind down over three years, for example, you know, and in that that period of time, all of the employees will be given the opportunities to retrain or to look at CV. You know, there are a number of measures that yeah. I would expect to be in place for something like that. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do things like that. I'm guessing it's easier to deal with the likes of print media than it is with broadcast because there's a lot of preparation goes into broadcast because of what could be potentially said, whereas Correct. you can get a statement out with print. Yes, you can. So. Yeah. Do yeah. you kind of try and push the broadcast away in those until they're ready? Or? No, not really. I mean, for me, if if we're going with an announcement, yeah, then the way that I would like to structure typically is that if we're doing that announcement on site, um, say, 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah. And we anticipate that that meeting will take about an hour. Yeah. Then... By about 20 past 10, when I'm sure that things are well underway mm. and that people have heard the news and now that they're getting into the more the questions and answers piece, then the press release will be issued at that point. Yeah. But it'll go to everybody, whether it's print or broadcast or it's online or it's somebody like the journal or whoever. Everybody gets it at the yeah. same time. And then you wait for the questions to come back and you just deal with them, you know. Um, and there is an urgency for some of them. But to be fair, there's an urgency for all of them now, because if you're online, Everything you know, you're not waiting though. for the print edition tomorrow. Yeah. It's up there immediately. It's breaking yeah. news. So um, so they're all under the same kind of pressure now in terms of, of, of getting that news out there. So does your day start as well, looking at all the different newspapers and listening to it? Is that very much part of the job? It is very much part of the job. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly for, for anybody new kind of joining across the business, not just us, but, you know, media monitoring is something. Yeah. That most, if you come in at an intern level or a really junior level, mm. that'll be one of your main responsibilities when you start. So if you're like an intern, that would be yeah. to scan. There are companies that, that do that media monitoring for you. So like you can News set Access up. and Cantor and stuff. Is exactly, yeah, yeah. and Point and people like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we have a number of clients that we would get uh, reports in on every day if, if yeah. something has appeared, um, whether that's print or broadcast or online. But we're also going through the uh, papers ourselves. We're looking online. We're checking Twitter. We're listening to particularly if it's a locally based client, it's 96 and red in terms of what they're saying, what's the topic for the day. And Um, you know that you probably know the individual shows that you have to monitor. I mean, it's not going to appear on a a music program. No, it'll be it'll be be PJ Coogan or it'll be Neil Prendival. You know, that'll be it, you know, or or then it might be going on to national, might be a Joe Duffy 
or you might get a Matt Cooper or you might you Claire Burton, whatever it is yeah, after that, yeah. you know, or the, you know, you'll get a call at 10 o'clock at night from Morning Ireland to say, we'd like to talk to X in the morning. Can you organise that for us? And then you're off. <laughs> and, and how do you approach that at 10 o'clock at night? Like, do you, do you ring them and say, or do you send them a text or how, how does that work? It depends on the client. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's understanding the individual, yes, I suppose. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. And, and whether or not it's it's a an opportunity yeah. for them or not. Yeah. I would always suggest to clients that if they're ready to do so, that if they are doing a restructuring project or something like that, that is seen as a as a bad news story, that there's always an opportunity, as difficult and all as it might be, but to actually explain why. Yeah. To be able to put that across to that wider community. Yeah. Um, and also to be able to to talk to the fact that, you know, I mean, nine times out of 10, when a, a company is restructuring, if it, particularly if it's a multinational, chances are, you know, it was nothing to do with the way that the company was run or that the employees engaged on site. This is part of a much bigger corporate picture. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, we you know, this division is going or we're getting out of this type of manufacturer. Those products are now off patent and there isn't a yeah. value piece anymore. But it's never this was caused by the guys on site or this was, you know, as a result of something that they, did, they didn't do or underperformance or something. So, again, it's always an opportunity, I think, um, for someone like a, a senior leader or site lead to be able to just to make that point. Yeah. This is not yeah. as a result of anything that, that happened here or that was done here, yeah. you know. Um, and that's what public relations is about. It's managing reputation, really, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Correct. And it's all about reputation. Yeah. Reputation management and people forget about that in, in many ways. You've also been involved in a number of boards, Cork Airport being one or was it the DA? DA, yeah. yeah. So I had the opportunity to sit on the board of DA PLC for three years which was um, a great opportunity so I suppose the background to that was that I had worked with Cork Airport as a client for a number of years on um, both strategic communications and and issue management with them and I was also at that time on the board of Cork Chamber Yeah, I suppose not that it was a natural progression but you know at the time there was an opportunity for someone from Cork to sit on the DA board to actually give the Cork perspective yeah, and that hadn't happened before so so my warrant letter when I was appointed to the board of DA specifically called out the fact that that my role was as a director and obviously furthering yeah. the role of um, and the, the organisation but I also had an extra ask which was to represent Cork Airport as fully as I could at that decision table um, and that was the first time that that had ever been included in any okay. in any director of DA up until that point so that's something that I took particularly seriously. So as part of my time on the board, we established a Cork Airport subcommittee. So that would meet regularly. And mm. again, opportunity then for those actions and headings out of that meeting to be heard at the main uh, board table. But then also we established what's still running today. It's known as the Cork Airport Development um, Council. And it's a, it's a group of stakeholders, I suppose, who range from the local authorities to the IHF to individual large companies, both mm. multinationals and indigenous companies in in the region. And it's very much about, I suppose, offering a challenge to the team in Cork Airport. Yeah. Um, but also acting as um a, a channel back to different communities as well in terms of, of if there are specific messages, if there are specific challenges that the airport has, I suppose you know, it's it's another it's another way of getting that message out in terms of what Cork Airport is doing, what it's about. But also, they say it's that challenge piece back into the management team as well. That was established in 2015, and it continues to this day. It still still meets quarterly 
but yeah, it's it's something that I'm particularly proud of. So you said the airport were a client. Were they a client of yours when the tragic accident happened in 2011? They were. They were at the time of the, the Manx 2 yeah. uh, crash in um, February 2011. Yeah, so don't know if you recall the full details, um, Stephen, but there was a commuter plane flying from Belfast to Cork. Yeah. And um, it had 10 passengers and two crew on board. Yeah. Uh, came down to Cork in very, very heavy fog. Tried to land twice both times um, was unsuccessful back up again and third time it, it appeared that the fog was lifting so uh, the plane made a, a a third pass at the runway Yeah. and unfortunately when the plane came down it came in at an angle and uh, the tip of one of the wings hit the runway and of the, the 12 souls on board that day six people died um, and that was obviously uh, huge Isn't, huge for the, yeah, the, yeah, the people and families yeah. but yeah so it, it it yeah we were we were involved at the time we we provided uh, or were providing uh, communication support and and media support to Cork Airport as a client um and obviously you train for things particularly somewhere like an airport yeah you know you would have emergency yeah. management training and that but nothing really prepares you for the I suppose the enormity of what you're dealing with for something like that and you're probably you're probably dealing with the local media who you know all the time but now all of a sudden. You have this international, I Correct. suppose, attention. Yeah, yeah. And then you're trying to deal with people who have lost somebody, and they're trying to find out what's happening. Yeah, and yeah. All of that. I mean, it's 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 interesting. Just as you talked earlier on about that citizen journalist phenomenon. Yeah. Um. And bear in mind, this was this was ten years ago now. Um. Almost eleven. But and I always remember the 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 story. One of the duty managers who happened to be off that day was yeah. walking down Albert Plunkett Street, and um, this was just at around twenty past ten. Yeah, the crash happened um, at about ten to ten. Yeah, um, that morning, he was walking down Albert Plunkett Street, uh, unaware of what had taken place, and was passing. I think it was O'Callaghan's. Um, television shop on Albert Plunkett Street. Yeah, so they had a shop there. Yeah, they yeah. did, and like a whole load of screens in the window, and one of the screens was uh, switched to CNN, and there was a photograph taken through the fence at Cork Airport showing the crash on CNN at twenty past ten that morning. Oh. So half an hour after the the, the probably crash taken from Twitter or something at that point. I'd Literally, imagine. somebody had taken a photograph yeah. on their smartphone, yeah, and had sent it to CNN. So, like the nature of. You know, news traveling and yeah. the speed and all of that. Now, we only heard about that days later from from the same duty manager. But yeah, so look, the, the emergency plan swung into place. And interestingly, there's a very well-drilled plan and an operation in the Cork-Kerry region, right, which is yeah. the, the major emergency response team. And, you know, it's drilled regularly with a number of organizations, including the airport. And what would happen in the event of the plan being activated? You know, there's a whole piece around cordoning off roads having an access route to CUH. You know, there's all these yeah, kind of practical yeah. things to consider. And the emergency plan was activated that morning, but it was stood down about an hour later because the emergency, such as it was, had finished. Yes. Okay, because the six people um, who walked from the plane crash had been brought to CUH. Yeah. Right. They were dealing with the situation um, with the six people who had died. But there was no need to have the guards, the ambulance, yeah. all of the, the other yeah. emergency services there. So the, the plan was stood down about an hour later. And it's something I always say to people if I'm talking about crisis management. Mm. That was just the beginning 
of the focus then in terms of the media attention and all of the other attention that's centred on Cork Airport for, for the following five or six days. So that evening, RT's 6-1 news came live from the main hall in Cork Airport. Yeah. Sky News were there. TG Car were there. TV3, as they were at the time, were there. BBC sent uh, a radio van. We had six satellite trucks outside the terminal. Everybody just broadcasting, yeah. wanting to get the information they could. The air accident investigators arrived. Everybody wanted to talk to them, find yeah. out what was the process, what would they do. We set up um, an area in what was then called the Red Bar um, for media yeah. because we were literally inundated with media whether there was something to report or not, yeah, they had to be there and they were looking yeah. for whatever they could. And that day, like we just had unrelenting uh, media pressure for about 48 hours. Imagine it's around the clock. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it was. And, and I suppose what you're conscious of is you're trying to do that piece. And again, back to your point earlier about reputation management, it is about making sure there's an understanding of what happened. There's You're trying to tell the story, but you're, like in that one in particular, we were so conscious of the fire crews and everybody working at Cork Airport who had never had to deal with something like this before, mm. who, you know, the small airport, big heart that we're, we've yeah. all grown up with and we're all familiar with and who were dealing with the fallout for something like this. And people were severely shocked and traumatised by it. People who'd been there on the morning and who yeah. had had to deal with it. Um, so very mindful of that as well and mm. trying to, to protect people in, yeah. in just in the sense that, you know, if you're a journalist, you have a job to do. You're there with your microphone or your tape recorder or whatever it is. Yeah. You want to talk to people and all that. It's not that you're you're not mindful of, of what's going on, but you have a job to do. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to manage that then in terms of being able to provide people for interview or to talk to the journalist, but then also mindful of what's going on behind the scenes. You know, counselling we put in place for people, all those kind of supports in that as well. So as a lot happens when you're dealing with something like that. Very difficult moment. Did you have other type of episodes like that over the years or was that the kind of one that sticks out? That's the one that sticks out really. We've had other situations where uh, maybe there's been an incident at a facility where somebody's been injured okay, or an explosion or something like that. But obviously that all pales and relative probably, to loss of life. And probably not the same media attention I'd imagine Not at all. Well. Not there's at all. I mean, this with was, airports and there's... There is, there is, there is something we always yeah. uh, say there's something about airports. Everybody just gets excited about airports. Yeah. And look, this six people lost their lives that day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that um, we're all very mindful of. And uh, I know the team in Cork Airport did an amazing job that day. And it's, it's something that, that stays with them in terms of that. I mean, it's a bit like, as I said earlier, you know, you can be dealing with the worst situation possible, but it's about being as professional as you can yeah. and about, you know, dealing with people with with empathy, with understanding um, and trying to, to straddle that line as well, even with the media in terms of, you know, they're looking for something additional, something new, mm. what really happened. You know, you can't speculate on, on stuff like that in, yeah. in the middle of a, of, a, of a situation like that. You have to wait for the investigations to happen. You have to wait for the, the, the right people to, yeah. to, to do the reports and all that. You can speculate all you want, but, you know, I always say to people like, you know, you can't speculate. And if you don't know the answer to a question, you just tell someone you don't know the answer to the question. Yeah. You know, you'll be back to them when you do have that answer. But if you don't have the answer, then, you know, just don't go there. Um, How do you deal with the likes of tabloids in those scenarios? Um, it's very challenging. Uh, a couple of hours after the crash. Um, where I got a call from a photographer here in Cork who was doing work for one of the broadsheets. Yeah. 
who rang me to say that he had been down at CUH and they had just asked somebody to leave uh, who turned out to be a tabloid photographer who had been sent down from Dublin and who was actually had made his way into the hospital and was trying to get access to, to the, the six injured people. You know, so... That's awful, yeah. Oh yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. Again, I'm sure he, he was there to do his job. He was under instruction from someone Correct. else. Who was under instruction probably from somebody. Correct. You know, yeah. but, but again, you know, the fact that I, I got a call from one of the guys locally yeah. to tip us off. So we were able to ring because the guards were still on, on site up in, in the airport as well as down to the hospital just to say to them, look, we'd, we'd, yeah. we'd, we'd gotten this kind of heads up and in my book, that's not something that no, should be happening. No. You know, so. So in terms of the airport then, like, were you involved in some positive stories for them? Oh, yeah. Because, you know... Oh, yeah. The airport is... There was a great encounter over the years. Launching new routes and, and, you know, hitting um, passenger numbers, you know, record passenger numbers. The opening of the the new terminal. Everybody still calls it the new terminal even though it's there for a very long time Yeah, it's (laughs) You know... I can't remember when it opened. It was in, you know, the mid-2000s. It was. It was, yeah. So, you know, all of that. The airport is a community of people, you know. I suppose, and and I know they would always say it themselves. They're in a very unique position because, you know, all life goes through the airport. Yeah. You know, it's it's people going on holidays, it's people going on business trips, it's people coming home, it's yeah. people who might be coming home for a reunion or they might be coming for a funeral or you know, there are so many different reasons yeah. why you're in and out of an airport. And 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 I know the team at Cork Airport really feel that very keenly and understand yeah. Yeah. that they are witness to all of that. So there's always. There's always great stories there, whether they're they're sad stories or positive stories. There's always great stories in 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 Cork Airport. So, what's the future for the business now? So, I suppose for us, um, so where we are at the moment, we're we're six years in, yeah, as AMO Sullivan Pure. As I said, we have a team of nine of us now, a great team, absolutely fantastic, uh, team of professionals, and who go above and beyond all of the time. Yeah, that's for me. That's fantastic to see it. And I suppose in terms of next steps, like we're working on a couple of really interesting projects at the moment. So we've worked with Kinsale Energy, who operate the Kinsale gas fields for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, people might remember back in the day they were owned by Marathon and um, they're currently decommissioning the platforms and there's no more gas being produced off Kinsale. Yeah. It's the first time, though, that a, a gas field has been decommissioned in Ireland. So everything from stakeholder engagement to the actual planning process yeah. to engagement with the relevant departments and all that. So that's been really interesting for us over the last couple of years because that's not something we've had experience in per se. Yeah. And as I say, it's also a first in terms of Ireland and planning and infrastructure. Uh, we're also working with Roche in Clare Castle and County Clare. So their manufacturing site down there, they're currently decommissioning the site. So Roche took a decision, a bit like I was saying earlier, Roche took a decision back in 2015 to exit out of what's called API manufacture. So that actual, that active pharmaceutical ingredient piece mm. that gets manufactured in pharma sites. So what they call the, the small molecules, they, they're getting out of that basically. So there were four sites around the world that were impacted by that decision, including the one in, in County Clare. That site has a landfill. So part of what's happening at the moment in terms of the demolition of the site also includes the remediation of the landfill. Again, that isn't something that's happened before. Yeah. Um, that a plant like that in the site would come to basically end of life and be restored back to a brownfield site. Oh. So again, that's something that's that's different for us 
um, in terms of working on that. So so two firsts in terms of that. Now, they're not the most, I suppose, by popular definition, they would be the most sexiest projects in the yes. world. <laughs> it won't be your typical PR kind of stuff. Not really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but having said that, there's huge communication challenges around it. Yeah. You know, who are the stakeholders? What's, what's the information we need to get yeah. to them? How do you make something so technical? you know, come across to people and, and make yeah. it accessible. So even last year for Rosh now, for example, we were lining up to do a series of public consultation sessions in March last year. Yeah. All of a sudden COVID hit. So we had to to rethink all of that. So we went online with the public consultation in May. Again, first time that public consultation was done virtually yeah. in Ireland and it was purely as a result of the pandemic. So we turned that around in two months. Now, since then, it has become, when say it's the norm, but that's what people have done and companies have done over the last year and a half now because of COVID. You can't be bringing people into a room to show them your plans and course, to give them access yeah. to, to experts. But we turned that around in, in, in two months and um, did that all virtually last year. So, you know, there, there are challenges around that. But it's, I suppose, it's, it's always something different. Yeah, you know? a different challenge. Um, and something, and we're always learning and developing in that, you know. So long answer to your question as to where to next for the business. But... You know, I think there's a lot of areas that we'll be focusing in on over the next while for our clients. Sustainability, obviously, is key. Yeah. And one of the bigger projects that, that I would have been involved with personally over the last number of years would have been the Lower Harbour Energy Group wind turbine project in Cork Harbour. So anybody who's familiar with Cork Harbour at all will know yeah. the large wind turbines. Yeah. So we would have led on the communications and the stakeholder engagement with that project. Yeah. And shepherded that right the way through the planning process. Yeah. And, and those turbines are up and running. They're providing unbelievable savings to the organisations because yeah. obviously that was part of it. But also, you know, they're being powered completely by wind yeah. on on any given day, you know, and that's that's a huge um, that's a huge uh, positive, I think, to be able to to say. But it's something that we were we were directly involved in and, and worked our way through that. So sustainability is is a big thing, and I think it will become bigger. And you know, you just have to look at things like the climate action policy and. Um, where we're going on, mm. on carbon budgets and all of that. So that is a focus for clients and that's an area obviously that I think is going to be one of growth for us over the next while. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's keep doing what we've always done. You know, don't forget the fundamentals. It is about the message. It's about the audience and it's about the channels, you know, and... Including those digital ones and the traditional correct. media, yeah. Correct, yeah. yeah. So every week I ask the guest two questions. So the first question I have for you is what tip would you give another brand in, in terms of building a business? So if we were talking about building a reputation, what tip would you give them? I mean, if I look at it as uh, from the perspective of a business owner myself, yeah, for me, it's about your personal integrity, right? And, you know, the type of work that, that, that we do and the type of, of work that I do personally, people are comfortable to share news with me. They're comfortable to share uh, information with me. They know that I will take it on board, I will consider it, I will give them a reaction to it or I'll give them my best um, support in terms of where to next with it. And, but, but for me, that comes back to that integrity piece. So, you know, I think as a business owner, it's fundamental. And, and that's what I'd say to anybody, you know, you, your, your brand should reflect who you are as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and if it doesn't reflect who you are, not sure that it's going to be sustainable for you. And the other question I have, and I'm conscious of the fact that I'd have a lot of even PR students listen to this podcast as well and a lot of marketing students. What tip would you give an individual? Um, so someone like yourself who has been in the industry. Yeah. But if let's say somebody's starting off, if they want to get into this game. I would say, first of all, it's a fantastic career. 
Yeah. Right. There's no, and I, no two days are the same. Yeah. You know, you just don't know what's coming at you. Be curious. Never be afraid to ask questions. Never be pushed into giving answers quickly because there is an element of consideration here and, yeah. and you know, not reacting first. But I think for anybody who's looking to uh, or who's considering a career in, in PR, I couldn't recommend it highly enough to anybody. You will never regret going into this career. You will get a buzz out of it every day. You will tear your hair out yeah. every second day yeah. as well. And all of that, it's challenging. It's rewarding. You meet great people. You make great friends. Yeah, I don't I don't regret a single day that I decided not to be a chartered accountant. And I'm guessing as well, if you want to be a bit more creative, maybe have more time to think, it's a bit more, you have a bit more that than maybe, let's say, a digital. You know, uh, I'm thinking I think of that's social fair. media and stuff like that. I think that's know. fair. I, I also think that the agency life isn't for everybody. Yes. Because you are juggling multiple clients. Okay. And they all have an ask of you. Yeah. And you're having to prioritise, you're having to react to things. That type of environment isn't necessarily for everybody. Yeah. But having said that, we do spend, certainly my team would spend a lot of time on research and on getting under the bonnet of stuff. Yeah. Rather than necessarily coming back straight away. And I suppose that's what that strategic communications piece brings as opposed to Mm -hmm. just that general reaction piece straight away. Don't get me wrong. You've got to react a lot of times if, if, you know, if a client rings you and says, there's a journalist outside the gate and they're looking to do an expose. Yeah. You know, you don't really have time to sit back and think, well, yeah. I'll come back to you tomorrow on that. But, you know, um, there is an opportunity definitely to be thoughtful in your response to clients as well. So you don't regret uh, those 10 o'clock calls and say, maybe if I was a chartered accountant, I'd be finished <laughs> at five and I could have walked away. I don't I don't think any chartered accountant finishes at five, to be fair to them either, Stephen. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't. I don't regret that. It's it's part and parcel of what happens. And it's the nature of, of the world in which we operate as well from a media perspective. If the media is going to ring you at 10 o'clock, you've got yeah. to be there to respond to it as well. It's a fantastic story you have, Anne-Marie. I'm delighted to share it with the listeners today and um, best of luck with everything in the future. Thanks, Stephen. Really appreciate the, the opportunity to have the chat. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest. 